You're listening to the Julian and Mario podcast. I'm Julian Gray. And I'm Mario Melchior. When we retired, finding what to do in ourselves wasn't easy. When you retire from football, you don't retire from life. And we want to discuss this, share stories, advice and chat with you, our listeners, about anything you like. We want you to get involved in our conversations. So let's get it started. Are you ready? <laughs> yes, guys. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is part two of the interview with Nick Raphael. It's me and Julian. And we are talking about uh, football and music that we all three actually love that much. But now we're going to go deeper into the conversation of business, because I think business is one of the key things that no one teaches us when we go into a journey of, of uh, achieving so much like Nick did. And now he's going to really school us how it goes step by step. And I think this is not only for a footballer interesting, but I think it's just for the world interesting that loves music. Tell me first the journey to get to you leaving your company. So I want to know, Nick, when you started off, how did the progress? I don't want you to go into, but just tell me, I was two years at this company. I did this, this was my title. Then I jumped into this company. That's the journey what I would like to uh, Okay, I was, I went off, let's get really quickly. Football, I finished playing football. I played for Bradford City in the reserves in 2000. Uh, sorry, it went to about 2000. Uh, 1989. Uh, worked, made pizzas. Then I started running nightclubs. Uh, long story, funny story, can't be bothered to tell you now, but I ended up in the nightclub business in Leeds. I was doing a degree. Yeah. I played football in Bradford. I was doing a degree in Leeds. End up. I know you moved yeah, to Leeds. Yeah, Leeds and I was in a nightclub business. What was your degree in Leeds? Economics. Oh, yeah, so, I was in, so I did economics, but I didn't really turn up. I was doing real economics. I was running nightclubs, DJing, live, live, living, living, uh, <laughs> living life, living life. Lost, lost, Um But I know it's hard work because I was like doing, you know, grafting it to make these things happen. And then, then I stayed on because I was making so much money and doing so well and enjoying it. And all the record companies saying, yo, come and work for us in London. And I was like, work for you in London? How much do you pay a new guy in the record company? And they told me it was like at the time twenty-two thousand pounds. I was like, I'm earning way more than that as a club promoter and a DJ. Why would I come and work for you? Yeah. The funny thing they were saying to me is this won't last forever as a club promoter and a DJ. And I was like, yeah, cool. Anyway, I meet Amanda, my wife, who you know, and she ends up getting we bumped into a model agent in London, and they're like, you should come and model. And she's like, to me, if I'm going to give this go, I'm going to have to move to London. So I moved with her to London. I, I give my shares in my business and my club to my partners. Mm. I don't even sell it. I just give it away because I was leaving them in the lurch. And I love them too, Susie and Paul. And I come to London and all the record companies that call me, I call them up and say, yo, I'm, I'm actually come to London. And one record company, London Records, the home of Pete Tong, uh, said to me, you only have to work Monday to Thursday night. And from Thursday night, you can go and DJ, but you have to do five days work in four days. But you can DJ, run your club, do all the things. But we'll only pay you the 22. We'll only give you, we'll give you a company car. And I was like, cool. So I can earn all my other money and, job, mm. and I won't be bored in London while my wife's going off, my girlfriend at the time, going off doing model castings. So I took the job. Yeah. I took the job to fill time. I never thought I'd be a record executive. I got so hooked. You have no idea. I, within six months, I was thinking 24-7 about records. Then in 1996, the guy who sat in the office next to me, who became a good friend of mine, Christian, me and him 
decided we were going to start a label somewhere else because we thought there was a glass ceiling at London Records where we started. And we moved to BMG, a German company who owned Arista and RCA. At the time, they had like things like Puffy and they had the Wu-Tang Clan. They had Whitney Houston, yeah. a cool company, wow. really cool company. Yeah. And we went to work for them and we started a label and we called it North West Side Records. The reason we called that, because he lived in Northwest 3, Hampstead. I lived in Northwest 6, West Hampstead. We had it in common. And we called ourselves Northwest Side Records. And one of our first signings was 1996, was a young man called Sean Carter from New York. No. And that made me and him three years later when Hard, uh, Volume 1, Hard Not Life came out, made me and Christian two of the hottest young executives in the music business. Everyone was like, two young white kids in London signed Jay-Z? And they was like, yeah, no, they did. No, like, everyone was like, no way. And like, no, look, there's the records. So we signed him and it was the most amazing journey. And my American company, here's the, the kicker, said, we don't want to release him in America. And that's how he ended up in Def Jam. Oh. Yeah. yeah, they like, we don't feel in him. We just don't think he's very good. After like, he had done what he'd done with you, even even though when you lot signed him and you he was doing good stuff with you, did he? No, he had reasonable doubt. Was... I offered them reasonable doubt. We had six weeks to pick up the rights in America. We own the rights everywhere in the world. They had six weeks. And if they didn't pick up the rights in America, they would revert back to Dame and Jay for America and Canada. That so is we had, wild. We had the first three albums, Reasonable Doubt, In My Lifetime, Volume 1, and In My Lifetime, Volume 2. And everyone sent us notes back going, sorry, not filling him. And, 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 and how did you find Jay? How did you find that, that connection? Oh, how did I find him? Really simple. I was in the office one night listening to records to DJ at the weekend, house records, and MTV Lick was on in the corridor outside my office. Everyone had gone home and the door was open. And between songs, I heard this record go, bomb, 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 bomb. And I hear it in the corridor. So I walk out in the corridor and I'm standing there watching this video. And Trevor Nelson is, is showing it. So they import this week. I love this record. I'm feeling it. It samples. Uh, I'm going to get it wrong. I'm going to say the OJs. It might not be. I can't remember who it was who did the original. Anyway, he and he's telling the story of it. And I, I love this record. Anyway, I went to my boss and said, I want, I want to sign this guy. He's in New York. He hasn't got a record deal. And my boss said to me, let me call my friend who's a hip hop lawyer in New York. The guy had nothing to do with Jay and Damon. He's just an American hustler, the guy in New York. And he said, nice. I can get you it for a million dollars. And he said, Nick, you're a junior guy here. I'm, you're not spending a million dollars signing uh, I, I go back to your office so I, I got turned down then Christian and I left and I was looking and I saw it still independent yeah. so I called up the label that had they'd licensed it to called Freeze Records a guy called Will Sokoloff and I said to Will I'd love to license this and he said to me take these fucking lunatics off my hand oh, wow. <laughs> nothing but grief because Really boring. I just explained some mechanics. When you're an independent label in those days, and you had physical sales like CDs and vinyl and everything. You would sell it to the shops. The shops had 30 or 60 days to pay the distributor. And the distributor had 30 days to pay the label. So the earliest okay. you were going to get paid back was 60 days. So if I sold, if I sold it, a CD today in a shop, and I'd taken that stock, I have to wait to the end of the month to pay and then I take to, so by the time the money start come back in it could be uh one two it could be four months but at the same time wow. you're trying to market your record 
So you need cash. Yeah. So there's a cash flow problem. No money's going to come back in, <laughs> but the person putting it out has to have spare cash. So unless you're, if you're a big company like Universal or Warners or Sony, you've got the cash flow. But if you're Will Sokoloff at Freeze Records, you haven't got the cash flow. So Damon and Jay were saying, we want to spend more money, make more videos. We want to do more marketing. And he was saying, and we're going up the chart, which they were every week in America. Yeah. And he was, they were saying, he said, but I haven't got any cash. You're hiding our money. He said, no, we're not. I'm waiting for the distributor to give it to me so I can give it to you. Anyway, when I called up, he's like, yo, I can't handle this craziness. So he gave me Dame Dash number. I called Dame. Dame said, when can you meet me? I said, tomorrow. He said, where are you in London? I said, yeah, tomorrow. He said, how can you get you here tomorrow? I said, just get on a plane, bro. It's six hours. I'll be there. <laughs> anyway, I met him yeah. in New York. There was, Dame, yeah. there was Dame Dash, Biggs Kareem, and me and Jay and Christian. And we had a meeting in an Italian restaurant. And we shook hands mm -hmm. on a deal. It was like the weirdest Amazing. thing ever. Wow. Like, like old school. Yeah, we need this money. Can yeah. you get it quick? Can you help us out? Yeah, 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 yeah. You can have the record. Here's the situation. I said, yeah. And we signed him which we took a couple of weeks, obviously. And then two, three years later, everyone was laughing. Why did you sign this guy? He's not even that good. Da, 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 da. On the third album, everyone realized how good he was. And to this day, Reasonable Doubt is voted one of the greatest hip hop albums of all time. And then, then we had a band called Another Level. We asked Jay to rap on it. They sold, a million, they sold a million records. I'm now 26 years old and I've signed the hottest rapper in the world. And I got one of the biggest boy bands at the moment. And every record label is saying, you could be the head of our label, head of our label. And, I'm, and no one had ever been head of a label younger than 30, ever. They no, just turned 29 and Sony and Universal offered me Island or Epic Records. And I made a decision yeah. then to go and run. So Christian had left by then. He'd gone to run East West Atlantic at Warner's. And then he had a huge success with David Gray. And I looked like the stupid brother in the uh, in the family because he'd left, he'd had a mega success, and I was uh, I, I was the guy left behind. Uh, and then I went to. What did it do to your confidence? What did it do to you? How did you How did you motivate yourself to keep going? Uh, it only 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 didn't help my confidence, but only gave me more fuel because it wasn't a problem with Christian because he's my friend. It was the it was the naysayers in business. It's like being a football player and everyone's saying, oh, he's not good enough. He's not as good as the last guy. Da, 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 da. I was saying, <laughs> I'll show you motherfuckers. I'll show you who the best person is. I love be me. It. That's, that's what I wanted to hear because that's what it is. Don't listen. Don't watch anybody else. I was pleased for Christian because he's my friend. I wasn't trying to yeah. fight him. I was trying to beat the world. You know, I want. It's like you played in a football team. You, you know, your friends are all the Dutch players. Yeah, you want to be in the Dutch national team, but you're pleased when they're playing well. You're not pissed. You're like, yeah, as long as I'm playing, as long as I get picked every week, that's cool. Good luck to them. Don't be jealous of anybody else's success. Yeah, you can't change Just that. Create your own. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So that went well, and then I got hired. And at the time I was hired in 2001, I was the youngest ever president of a record company. They call it MD at the time, but now we call them presidents of record company. And I replaced the now global head of Sony, who at the time going up to become the UK chairman, a guy called Rob Stringer. And I inherited, or didn't, I took over Epic Records, which was the home of Michael Jackson, Celine Dion, Jennifer Lopez. But I was only marketing those records. That wasn't even, for me, it's always about the A&R, what we sign. And I did mm -hmm. that. And 18 months later, they decided to shut all the labels down and start UK and International as a division. And I like, one minute, 
I turned up to be, can you imagine you turn up to play, to manage Arsenal or Tottenham and 18 months later, they go, we're just going to have one North London team. And you're like, well, where does that leave me? But that's how it felt. Yeah. So I ended up in this weird situation. And then the girl I worked with, Joe, who I'd hired, said, we've got two choices. One, we get a head down and we have some hits and we sort this out. Or two, we just get lost in this change. And I listened to her and I said, you know what, you're right. And then we had one hit after the other, like massive hit. So first of the band called Big Brothers, then was an after Milo <laughs> Destroy Rock and Roll. Then we had Charlotte Church pop album, which crazy chick on it. Then we had G4 off of X Factor. And we had those in a re- uh, Lamar as well. So Lamar was the first one. Oh my God, G4 throwback and also Lamar, obviously. We had, <laughs> That's so good. In a really short period of time, we had five really successful artists. And all of a sudden, we were ballers, stone cold ballers. Every, the phone ringing, come and do this job, come and do that job. You're the hottest people in the business. <laughs> Nick, you're the, you know, you're the guy, you're the guy. Now Jay-Z's even got bigger. So everyone's like, the Jay-Z guy's now having a hitch with everyone else. And I was like, cool. At the same time, like a full player, I couldn't let my ego get on it because I know the week after no. I might have a bad game and everyone's like, get him out, get him out. He's a bad, <laughs> yeah. he's a bad player, a bad manager. And then I did that between 2001 and 2011. By the time I left, we'd had JLS, Ollie, Paloma, Scout for Girls on top of all the others I mentioned. So in a period of eight years, we had 20 platinum and multi-platinum albums by 14 different artists. We just killed it. I had Aloe Black, I Need a Dollar. I had, it just was mad, 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 mad. Yeah. Um, and then I, Joe was nagging me. We've got to leave, we've got to leave, we've got to leave. We can't sell records internationally here. The setup doesn't work for us. We need to go somewhere we can get international sales. So I said, and the one company that's very good with the UK repertoire internationally was Universal. So I called, I, I resigned without a new offer. And I called Universal, they'd been calling me for years. And I called them and I said, yo, we're available. And they said, cool. They made the deal in 24 hours. It's like being a football player and your agent calls up and says, I didn't get the agent call up. I called up and said, you always wanted to get me to play for you. I'm available. They made the deal. And then for the first two and a half years to the new label, I had a, ner- I had a nervous breakdown in the year. Oh, I started so 18 months in. I'd gone from being so hot at the other place. You're starting a team from scratch, starting a label from scratch. I hadn't had a hit. And I got really, really, really sick. And I got a a virus and it attacked my thyroid. And I went to see the doctor, the specialist. And he said, listen, you have an illness, which is a medical illness. But the reason your body got this, this is a simple ailment that your body should fight, your immune system. But the stress has been so high on you, your immune system shut down and it isn't fighting so instead of fighting it it's attacked your body he said so technically you are got hypothyroidism called by a virus but in reality nick you've had a you've had a nervous breakdown and you need to calm down but what i didn't realize is we'd already signed sam and five seconds of summer and by the okay with so that was that was january 2013 by may by june 2014 we had the number one and number two album in America and the two biggest acts of the year. Huge. And we killed it. But there was 18 months where I was recovering. I'm thinking, shit, I'm going to have to get a smaller house. Shit, yeah. I'm going to have to think about a new career. 
shit, it's all gone wrong. I was just, just like, I was struggling. And then okay. boom, it went crazy. And then from 2014 until I left at Christmas, we sold 50 million albums. We won four Grammys, an Oscar, a Golden Globe, multiple American Music Awards, loads of Brit Awards. We just killed it. And everything went right. And that has been the last eight years. It's been incredible. But the pain of year one to two to starting a new company was so painful. I can't even I can't even tell you how bad it was. And now I'm gonna start a new company all over again. Yeah, now, now, now what the hell am I doing? Because last time so, wait, 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 wait. when you when you you okay, tell me also just a little quick I don't want to miss that from Capital Records. What was your position at Capital Records? I was the president. Found to be honest, in the UK company, there hadn't been a Capital Records for years. There hadn't, yeah. And it was a dead dead label, dead format here. It existed in America. When we set Capital Records here in two, in April 2013, there was no Capital Records. So I could argue I was the founder of Capital Records in the UK, uh-huh. but the Capital Records had been a long history and a big thing. But the truth is I was the president of it. And uh, yeah, I'd been the president of a record label. By the time I left, well, 21 years of a big label, And I've been, if you include Northwest Side, 26 years. Okay. And then you started, so now you 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 step up and you start your own company. Am I I'm going right? to? I have announced nothing. I'm not I'm not announcing anything yet. I've I've got people talking to me. I've got plans. I've got to start from scratch again. No artists. Okay. No, no, no things. By the way, this is this is to me the scariest but the most exciting bit of the music business oh yes because if you turn up and they've already got the rolling stones or they've already got beyonce or they've already got led zeppelin yeah 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 you're you're just a guardian you're just turning up that's already happening yeah but when you turn up and there's this blank sheet of paper and you got to do your hustle i love my hustle yeah i get back on my hustle i'm and i find someone and they become the jay-z or the sam smith or even Holly yeah. Murs, or even, you know, any of the acts, Lamar, any of those things. These, these people are my friends for life, for life. This is what you live for. This is the part you yeah. live for and what gives you the, this is your desire and your, uh, what you, yeah. Just like us, like me, I'm obviously coaching and stuff. It's my time to help them to have a career. If I can see them have a career, I've done my job. That That gives me pleasure and pride you know to see a player go on and have a career imagine if one of the players that you developed you found became as successful as Andy Cole because if you have the pride that I have yeah that pride is immense immense that's what it's about nothing can supplant that pride other than for my own children obviously let's not be get twisted there but you know I've got a professional life that's so rewarding at its best Nothing is as rewarding as seeing somebody come in who no one has ever heard of, who, you know, has got raw talent and you can turn that into global. And you watch these kids come in and look at the way we watch on the Kanye thing. 
it, all the time. I'm a rapper. I'm a rapper. No, you're a producer, bro. Just keep. Oh my god, it's so infuriating. You're like, it's Kanye West. Look at what he's rapping. <laughs> he's playing Jesus walks. He's playing through the. I know. He's playing... Wild. Oh my god. How do you? Yeah. How do you spot these things in them? That's what I was going to say. Don't know. I swear, and that's the funny thing. There's certain things I could tell you that, are like my tick list, that I've thought about. Yeah. And I had it written on the wall and it's like number. So where, so people always say, Oh, how talented are they? I say, well, how good a singer is Madonna? If you took her to a music school and said, how good is Madonna? She'd rank low, yeah. mm. but she sold more records and sold more songs than some of the greatest singers that ever walked this earth. Why? Number one, likability. Number two, mm -hmm. drive. I promise you this now, the kids I played football with as a kid and at school and in my Sunday teams, they were better than me. There are a lot of them better yeah. than me. Skill, uh, athleticism. But I was a dirty little rat. I would, I would fuck the hills. <laughs> I would do anything. I had desire. I had ambition. I was going to beat you to the ball even if I had to trip you up on the way to the ball, right? Yeah. I was going to get there. And if you got there in front of me, I was going to give you a nudge in your back. And I was five for eight and played centre half, right? Against a Chelsea under, we were under 19 and they were under 18 at Cobham. And I was playing for Southern schools and I was captain. And I played centre half. And the centre forward was six foot 40, laughed when the game started. He didn't score. He yeah. didn't win a header in the whole game, huh. right? Now, how did I do that? Well, my timing's good, one. And two is, I fucking nudged him every time he went to move up to jump for the ball. I did all the baddest things. I stood on his foot at corners. I was awful, yeah? Why? I was ambitious, right? I wasn't going to, no one going to stop me get to my next thing. And I think the greatest recording artists, they have to be likable, they have to have drive, and third in that, they have to have talent. The other thing a recording artist needs is a manager who's not going to fuck things up. And a manager is not the record company. That's like having... But how do you find a good manager? When I don't know something, I let someone else do it. And the baddest managers are the ones who go, no, 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 I know this. I've got this. I'm the manager. That's what I'm going to yeah. do. And sometimes the best thing to say is, I'm not good at this shit. Let's get... Tell me what you think I should do. And you learn as you do that. So they're the key things. But how do I know... It's innate. I don't sit there with my tick list saying, because hmm. you don't know how ambitious someone is. You know how they're likable they are really quickly. Like that day I met Sam. You just get a feel for them. I, there was there was a connection. There was a love. I felt it, right? Mm -hmm. The day I met Jay-Z mm -hmm. in New York, I was like, I'm feeling you. I like you. We got a connection. That's what I was going to say. So you, you go on more, your feel, how you vibe with someone, the connections. That is what gives you a, as well as the talent, all the other things you said, but it's more how you feel when you're around that yes. person and with what they're actually doing. But let me ask you a question. If you're developing a player or you're going to manage a player, you're going to be 24-7 with them, maybe for three years, five years, 10 years. If they're a total prick, yeah? You're going to regret going to work every day going, oh my God, I've got to go work <laughs> again. And that's true music. Well, and by the way, the manager can be a prick, right? As well, yes. Say in football, it's the agent. 
So you, you get this kid, you develop him, and every day the agent turns up and says, Jules, when's he going to be in, in the team? You're like, bro, stop asking me that question. He'll be in the team when he's ready. Go away. You're the agent. When he, when he gets a new contract, negotiate a new contract. Stay out of my business. Experts can walk in the room and look at a painting and say fake in five seconds. Yeah. And they even pick it up, touch it, look, just walk in and go, that's wrong. That's wrong. Yeah. Instinctive. It's real. And, I, and I'm not claiming some special skill. I've got no special skill. What I have is a love and a passion for what I do and a track record that says, however I do it. There's one thing that's my secret in my source. And I've told this a million times and everyone said this really arrogant. I think it's the least arrogant thing I've ever said. The music business signs 99 things for one success, right? Myself and Joe, in the period we've done it, it's one in four. And two in three albums we release are successful. Partly because we drop things when we think they're going wrong quickly. Well, that's I'm guilty of, and I accept it as a criticism. But the someone says, what's your secret of your formula? I said, focus. I've never signed 99 things, ever. I don't think in my entire career, I don't think I'm signed 99 things. I signed two artists a year. And I spent every day of the week focusing and thinking of every intricacy to get it right. And guess what? When you do it that way, one in three, one in four work. Why? Because you're not hedging your bets. Look at it. Look at Chelsea. Let's use an example in football. They had Mo Salah and De Bruyne because they signed every young kid and they don't even know how good the kids are in their academy. Because if two or three of them skip the net, who cares? As long as we get two good ones. And I think other academies where they take a lot less players and have a lot more focus and they bring more kids through. That's how I feel about music. So if I'm, I'm a young Nick, what is the thing that you would advise yourself quickly and say like, okay, Mario, this is what I wanted to know about myself. Like now knowing where you are today and I'm talking about What are in your journey, because you, you know, there's a lot of things that you, you already achieved, but I still say like, what would you have known when you were younger, Nick, that you know now? The funniest one is not to have worried so much. Uh, I made myself sick and ill over the years, caring too much, where well, I still care, I will always care, but I, to the point where I get nervous breakdown in 2013, um, The truth is, it will all work itself out if you're if 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 you're passionate. But the problem about being passionate and caring is you can, in this situation, care too much. Young Nick got lucky. Young Nick was in the right place at the right time. Young Nick knows now, as a 50-year-old Nick, how fortunate young Nick was. And I think young Nick being scared of not succeeding doesn't need to know it's going to be all right. Young Nick needs to think that he needs to put a meal on the table, a roof over the head of himself and his then girlfriend, now wife. He needed to work hard to achieve all the things I achieved. And telling young Nick it was going to be all right would have probably, he wouldn't have believed you anyway. Young Nick, so full of self-doubt. So didn't believe it. And boy, old Nick has his own self-doubt. Oh, am I past it? Am I still relevant? All those things. I'm no shame in saying that, but I had the same issues when I was a kid. There were different ones. 
You know, am I faking it? Am I an imposter? I can tell you now, I know I'm not an imposter because the track record is real, right? But now it's transitioned to a thing of, am I past it? Yes. You yes. can't have what, it's yeah. Yeah, infuriating. You never, you never win. And I loved going, when we went to the Oscars, they, they celebrate the older executives. They celebrate them, right? And in the music business, we are very dismissive of the older executives. Oh, they're not relevant anymore. They're past. Da, da, da. And then they celebrate them when they're no longer in the business, the Clive Davises, the L.A. Reeds, the, the, the legends, the Jimmy Ivins, the guy to be. I work in a young person's business, but some of my favorite executives of all time found brilliant artists later in their career. Clive Davis was still making big hit records in his 50s and 60s, right? Erskine was, you know, a really successful executive later in his career. I love these people. These people are relevant. These people are my heroes. There is two things you have now, which is wisdom, experience. And the one thing you're missing is naivety because when you're naive and you're innocent, you try things you should never do. Maybe I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't have picked the phone up to Jay-Z's camp if Sage, because I'd say, but actually I would now because I would say, well, I picked up the phone to Jay-Z, look what happened. But you get cynical when you get older. You're like, oh, they'll never do it anyway. When you're young, you're like, why not? I'll fucking try it. So yeah, young, it's hard to think about what I'd say to young Nick. Mm-hmm. No, but I think it's it's pretty clear what you said. You understand in 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 the way you go about. Say you would care, but you will you you will care in certain situations, and of course you will use the experience that you have right now, and it calms a lot down. You know, in the in the decision making, because you have so much experience now. But the key thing is what I feel like with younger people sometimes, and including myself, when younger people ask me questions is that we know so much more now and sometimes we will go back and say, oh, if I knew that, if I knew this. But on the other hand, we also enjoyed not knowing it. I love that. Because there's so much joy, yeah, not knowing. And there's so much joy when you didn't know it and now you know. The journey of not knowing and now you know is joy in it. As long as you get to know it. Because some people never get to know it, yeah, but then there is no joy because there's no outcome. The first time you you do anything is sometimes the most exciting. The first time you go to that nightclub you always wanted to go to, the first time you get to that restaurant you always want to go to, the first time you have sex, the first time, to, it, even though it might not be the best for the person you have sex with or yourself, it's the fact <laughs> that you have it and it's exciting and the nerves and everything else, that's exciting. Everything is exciting for the first time. The first time I went to the Grammys was exciting. The first time I saw my artist play an arena was exciting. Now, by the way, I promise you, when you see an artist for the first time in an arena or first time with a number one and it's a new artist, you still get a buzz, amazing buzz, right? But you've had it before. It's not the same first time. Listen, I'm sure the first medal you win as a football player or the first time you play for the first team or the first goal you score, you, you can't even describe that. When, you, when you're the old veteran and you've done everything in the team, Uh, you're there, you're relaxed. And everyone's like, why is Mario so relaxed? They've done it all, man. Why Jules so relaxed? Yeah, they've seen it all. They've, they've seen everyone come through here. It's no big deal. Uh, yeah. There is that. You touched it. But at the same time, it's my job, your job, everyone's job to have that enthusiasm. You know, if you watched a game on TV and you didn't have the enthusiasm for the game, they wouldn't invite you back to speak on the game. They say they, they want that energy. You know, 
I, I still jump up and down when I listen. I also get nervous when Spurs are winning, right? Because it never lasts that long, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> reality. But 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 the truth of the matter is, even that example, when I first went to football when I was five or six years old, my grandfather, just going to football was exciting. After the football as a 50-year-old, I say to my friend who I go with, oh my God, are we going to screw it up again this week? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I want to go, but I know, I know the pain of it as well as the joy. Yeah, you know the pain. No, but it's good. It's, it's, it's good. I like that. I like that. So the last, the last because we're not going to keep you, you know, but there's one more question we have, and we have it more. It's we, I use Julian and myself as the example, but let's say a guy like us wants to do business with a man like yourself, because I think a business question always needs to be there. You know, um, how could a guy like uh, Jules and I, we are connected to music, we love music, and we know it's a different field that you're in, but still, if we say we want to join and uh, join ventures with you, what needs to be happening? And I also called and I also called Daisy because Daisy is part of our journey. So all three of us are so Julian, Mario, and Daisy want to do business with you. What will we need to do to be able to sit on the table with you? You need to create something that I need to be in business with, and then I you bring in something to the party I need. Right? Perfect. And that's the Perfect. truth. Right. And, and and a lot of people come to you and say, Yeah, I could do what you're doing. Well, I started off running nightclubs that were successful. I got the attention of the music business. They came to me. I didn't go to them. I didn't go to them and say, please give me a job. Please give me a, uh, let me come in the business. I was making, I was only, listen, Daisy, apologize for what I'm about to say. I'm not a misogynist. I'm not sexist. But I only, when I was making pizzas and queuing up in the rain to go to nightclubs on my night off as a student in Leeds, I used to sit in that queue with the rain because in the north of England, it rains a lot. Watch a really hot, good-looking young lady. I was a very young man at the time. Walked down the queue, holding hands with a guy with record bags. I was like, that guy's no better looking than me. Why is the hottest girl, cotton, any girl in the queue, holding his hand, walking in? He's the DJ. I thought to myself, I need to become a DJ because he's... <laughs> He's getting girls I can't get. Then the next, I love that. Then the next, then about, and I'm still in the rain. I'm shivering, and when I'm going to get in, and I'm paying, I'm paying five pound to get in, yeah. And, look, and then, while I'm standing there in the rain, another girl walks down, and she, arguably, is even more attractive than the girl before. And she's walking, she's walking down, and she gets to the front, and a guy comes out, and I remember he was short. I know the guy. He's called Rob now, yeah somebody I now know who he was. And he came out the club and the girl hugged him, gave him a kiss. I don't even remember what she was wearing. She was wearing quite a tight figure hugging, all body covered up, catsuit, but she had an amazing figure, natural figure. And she hugs this guy who's short like me. I'm not very tall, I'm five foot eight. And he's even shorter, hugs him. And then he walks in with her and I was like, no way is that guy with that girl. And he was, right? He was the promoter. So I'm thinking to myself, I am not queuing, getting wet, freezing my ass off. I get in there, even if I look my best. By the time I get in there, I'm wet. I am drenched. My, my what they call it these days, my drip is dripping, right? <laughs> <laughs> and there's no way even a girl of the level that I'm at 
is going to even be interested in me because I look bad. I look wet. I look cold. I look like I look like I am. I am the poor guy trying to get in. So I become a nightclub promoter. And people say, well, you become a nightclub promoter? Oh, my God. I say, I become a nightclub promoter because <laughs> I want to get with that girl that Rob was with, yeah? And the truth is, it also is more fun than making pizzas. Yeah. I used to burn my hand, slice my hand on the, on the, mac, on the sausage slicer with the pizzas. And now I, my reason for doing it was purely to get a better quality of partner interested in me. It's completely yeah. biological. I want to go with a hot girl. Please. I'm not the best looking guy. I want a hot girl. <laughs> it worked. I married a beautiful woman. Now, that's why I did it. And then because I did it, that's not why I told the music business. But when it happened, I became really good at it. And then everyone wanted to play my nightclub. And it was the busiest. It was the hottest. It had best reviews. Everyone wanted to do it. And everyone in the music business said, who is that young guy in Leeds? With the hot car. Uh -huh. Ah, it's this guy, Nick Raphael. So they were calling me say, yo, you should come and work for us in London as an A&R guy, as a club promoter, as a, maybe club promotions where they send records out to the DJs or as a marketing guy. Yeah. And I just kept saying, no. Now, going back to your question, I made a noise in the business and the, and the mm -hmm. companies came to me. The Nick Raphaels of that day came to me and said, we need you in our lives. So when someone comes to me and says, oh, why can't I work with you? You ain't done nothing. And I hate this bullshit in the modern age of young people with Instagram and TikTok. You've got so, and YouTube, it's so easy to make a noise. <laughs> when I did it, yeah. it was, I think, a lot harder. And I went out and made a noise. And that noise got me noticed. And then when I got my chance, I, I obviously took it, right? Yeah, exactly. What I say to everyone when they go to do lectures in universities and colleges, I say to people and they say to me, how do I get in the music business? I said, like everyone else, make your own noise. If you live in Swindon, do a club locally, invite your friends. The first one might have 20 people. And in six months, if you haven't got 200 people, shut it down because it's not worth doing. I'll, I've got a question though. Yeah, saying that you're saying make a noise, and to be in business for me and Mario is not from that world. So it's kind of to say of that someone said, oh, I wanted to get into football and they wanted to make a noise. Like they would know, obviously they have to play football. What for us to be in business with you, when you say make a noise, what would it be doing for you to get, for us to get okay, you? I'll, give an, okay. I'll give an example. Here's an example. So let's take someone in football, right? Um, uh, Patrice Ever, yeah? yeah Patrick Ever. He has caused the noise that his, his digital footprint, his social media following is huge by being himself, yeah. by being crazy, by doing crazy things. Mm -hmm. So if he said tomorrow, I want to do something, I'm doing music, I'll say, put him on your platform. And if everyone reacted to them on his platform, I might want to be in business with him. Because he's created a platform, yeah. right? Now, Ronaldo, I'm taking another ridiculous one. He's got more followers than anyone in the world, yeah, digitally. Yeah, 120 million, 130 million. If yeah. he started talking on his platform about he's met this crazy young Portuguese kid and will listen to his voice and everyone was searching for him online, I might have to call 
Minoranino, whatever his manager, his agent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mendes, Mendes. And say, oh, yes, you're Mendes, and say, dude, how do I get to sign this kid? He might say, you have to do a joint venture with Ronaldo for a record label. Well, if he's promoting him to 130 million people worldwide, I might play that game. So you've got to create something in business that adds value to the proposition. Or you've got to find someone who's so good that I've got to come to you and say, I need to work with your guy or girl or group. And you say to me, okay, but I've done a lot of work on this. I got it to the stage and I say, okay, I'll, I pay extra because you've got it that much further. If you're coming in day one and just saying, oh, here's my son or daughter and they sing well. And I say, yeah, you're getting a small deal because you, you prove nothing. But if you prove it, it's like a football player. If you turn around and you come for a trial and you look good, you're going to start on the lowest wages. If you play for another team and you're smashing it, even in the youth level, you're going to pay more money for them. You've created a noise to make me want to be in business with you. And it's how much, and by the way, this is true of all business. You create your own noise, you get paid better. This is this is perfect. You understand because we always ask this. This question is very key um, for definitely for for me, Jules, and and days because we always want to know the possibilities that's out there because some, there's so much fear in people to step to higher rankings because they always so that's why we ask that question regardless of what our pets are. Sometimes what you kind of clearly uh, told us is go for it. Don't wait, you understand? Because if you wait, nothing happens. A friend of mine said to me one time, and listen, living proof is Amanda. If you see the best looking person, male or female, in an environment and you fancy them and you don't talk to them in some way or in some way engage with them, and then you say, oh, and you cannot get to meet those people unless you make an effort, right? And in this world, we have social media, you can DM. In this world, you can see on social media, they always go somewhere, right? I'm not saying, please don't stalk anyone. But if you fancy someone, or you want to get in business with someone, there's a way of connecting, especially on social media, you can connect. There's no excuses really, is there? No, and if you reach out and get knocked back, how many times does Kenya get knocked back in the documentary? Yeah. He only wanted to sign to Rockefeller. He got knocked back. For, and then he got signed. And for two years, I left him on the shelf. So my attitude is, if you do not ask, the worst that can be said is no. Yeah. You're not good enough. You're not handsome yes. enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not skillful enough. You're not tall enough, was said to me. You're not big enough. Mm -hmm. And then the best players in the world now were Xavi Iniesta, Eden Hazard, uh, Lionel Messi, they're all much smaller than me. But back in the day, I wasn't tall enough. Now, the truth was, I put myself out there. And if I want to be with the best looking girl or I want to live in a certain thing, I got to put myself out there and I got to be prepared to be disappointed. But I'll tell you what's more disappointing never asking, never knowing. That's the most disappointing. Brother, listen, this is uh, how we're going to wrap, man. I love what you just said, you know. Thank you for letting me experience that journey. Coming with us on the podcast, you have achieved so much. Thank you for coming, my brother. I love you, man. I know. Hey, our dinners will never stop. There's just one thing I have to say. <laughs>
I'm looking forward to okay. the incident. I'd just like to thank you as well, Nick, and really appreciate your time and the insight into your life and that world and stuff and you inspiring the way you think is like I said I wish there was more people like you and me and Mario and Daisy we have this conversation all the time about and I'm very passionate that sounds like you are with building relationships with individuals because I think that is the key when you have a good relationship with someone connection and you put belief in them they can do anything and together, collectively, you work as a team. Because like you said, I know my strengths, I know my weaknesses. You, if you can get and work with those people around you, it that's when the beauty happens. And I, I just, as I said, it's been so inspiring to hear this. And uh, I, I want to be a part of these concerts and these these dinners and all of this stuff. <laughs> right, yeah, and time. I, I want to get to know when you we, some when more. When I come next time to London, I'll let you know. Yeah, when I get to London, we'll all hook up. Thank you for listening to the Julian and Mario podcast. If you like what you heard, don't forget to share, subscribe, rate and review us. We also want to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter at JulianMario underscore pod or email us at JulianAndMarioPod at gmail.com. Send us your thoughts, feedback or suggestions for anything you want us to discuss on the show. Voice notes are welcome too. You may even be featured on our show. The Julian and Mario podcast is produced and edited by Daisy Grant.